When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, I love to read and I, I'm pretty eclectic in the way that I read. Uh, I read, you know, yeah, as, you, as you could probably imagine, a number of business books, but I also read, uh, you know, books on quantum physics. I read poetry. I read uh, um, anything that seems to strike my interest. And and, and and it's in the reading that I can find ways to connect dots that seem to be not connected in any way, shape, or form. And that has done a lot to inform how I approach the question of what does a leader do you know, in an organization? And essentially, they connect dots. You know, <laughs> that's one way for, for me to think about it. Uh, a, a highly effective leader will identify a possibility out there in the ether someplace and then find a way to bring it into visibility so that it becomes probable and then hands it off to management so management can take that probability and translate it into a reality. So that there's a continuum. And I mention that because the guest I have on our show today, Dr. Jennifer Nash, has written a book that I think is just fascinating. Yeah. And it's, and I, and I say that yeah, having you know, truly only been exposed to a kind of a brief read, but the, it was the title of the book that captured me. And in the in the preface read that I did, it was kind of like, I can't not have her on this show. We've got to talk. Uh, the title of the book is Be Human, Lead Human. And leadership is a relational activity. And it's a high contact sport. <laughs> it is not a passive sport. You're going to bump into things, <laughs> usually people, <laughs> when you're leading. So I want to, uh, and I'll talk about who Jennifer is as we start uh, you know, into the conversation here. But first of all, I just want to welcome Jennifer Nash, Dr. Jennifer Nash, to the show. It's great to have you here. Oh, thank you so much, Blaine. I'm so excited to be here, and I'm really looking forward to connecting the dots with you today. Oh, I yeah. Yeah, when I you know got this booked, it was kind of like, okay, 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 you know, what are we gonna talk about? Yeah. And I do that anyway with most of my guests. But it's the conversation that enthralls me because for me, conversation is the lifeblood of relationship. And that's all an organization is, is a group of people that are in relationship. And a leader will facilitate the orchestra in a way. And a highly effective leader can make unbelievably exquisite music if you'll excuse the metaphor here. And this is one of the things that your book actually highlights yeah, for me. Yeah, 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 be human, lead human. It's, yeah, you're not cogs in a wheel. You're actually, a, there's a human being here. So 
your book, and I'm just going to you know, talk real quickly here, and then we're going to invite you into a question. Uh, you interviewed over 400 leaders over a number of years, and some of these leaders were uh, you know, leading some very large organizations. And you've acquired and collated, I think, a really interesting template for how these highly effective leaders actually can function and it's translatable. It's, it's, it's a roadmap that you can kind of lay in front of somebody and kind of go, oh, I see what I can do here. Here's, you know, here are the attributes that I can begin to leverage and to begin to develop in myself. So we're going to talk about all of that as we uh, kind of have this conversation. But I want to start, Jennifer, if you don't mind, uh, with a question. You know, when you hear the term, the soul of business, what does that evoke? For me, when I hear the heart, the soul of business, I hear heart and I hear people. So to me, the heart and soul of business is people. And you, you will be very interested to know this, that the original title for my book was Leading with Heart, the Human Element of Business. I didn't know that. Leading yeah. with heart. And I ended up not being able to pick that title because there were other books out there on the market that had a very similar title. And so I ended up needing to shift that a little bit. Um, but I got the connecting the dots part in there at the end where, you know, I'm talking about how to connect people and performance. So yeah. I love that piece of it because when you're talking about the soul of business and you're talking about what drives people, when you can tap into what motivates them intrinsically mm -hmm. and what drives them to perform, what drives them to get up in the morning and do this great work that they're doing and be these amazing human beings that they are. It's all around this engaging the soul in that work. You know, I, I love the intrinsic motivation as opposed to an extrinsic uh, modality. Um, yeah, you've done work with some of the largest companies, as I mentioned, on the planet. Ford, Google. I'm going to just kind of go over to my cheat sheet here. JP Morgan, IBM, Boeing, Verizon. Yeah, the list goes on. Um, and you've been a leadership consultant to, to these organizations. In my experience, and I've worked with a number of these organizations as well in my own career, um, a lot of these leaders, you know, they are beholden to the board. They're definitely beholden to the state uh, shareholder group. And results is the metric by which they are assessed relative to their performance. Mm -hmm. And with that kind of a context, uh, you know, the question of how do I get people to do what I need them to do that they don't want to do? <laughs> has always been kind of the, the fly in the ointment, so to speak. Uh, how did you reconcile, I mean, in, in your interviews, yeah, how, how was that need for performance, need for tangible results reconciled with the, the intrinsic motivation that brings people to the table and keeps them going? Yeah. How did, how did some of your leaders describe you know, squaring that circle? Mm -hmm. You know, so I think one of the things that stands out to me immediately is that they don't view tangible results and engaging people as mutually exclusive. Yeah. So Say more about they that. are yeah. connected. Yes, exactly. So, you know, Taylor determined, you know, how someone should perform a task, what was the optimal way to perform a task. And he told the worker, you know, when to rest, when to walk how to pick up the load, how much to carry. Like he told them everything about how to do their job. And he was one of the first management consultants. I think Taylor's heart was in the right place. 
he wanted to maximize efficiency. He wanted to maximize profit for the organization. And he wanted to maximize income and earning opportunity for the worker. But I think what happened at the same time that he was doing these time and motion studies was he was taking away worker agency and yeah. taking away worker autonomy and taking away worker voice. And often these workers, they had devised their own tools to figure out what tools worked best for them to use in the tasks that they needed to do to perform it in the way that worked optimally for them. Yeah. And I think in doing so, you know, he removed a key element of that equation, which was this intrinsic motivation. Yeah. And, you know, and extrinsic motivation, you can only get so far with that, right? It's a carrot, you, you make money or you earn a reward or you get promoted or whatever it's going to be. But at a certain point, that stops becoming effective. And yeah. to keep people going and keep that sustainable flame ignited inside people, there really has to be that intrinsic motivation taking place. And I always like to remind leaders that I'm working with, you cannot motivate anyone. If you have a two-year-old, you understand this concept, right? <laughs> you can't make anyone do what they don't want to do. And so there's there's many factors that go into that, right? Maybe your hiring process needs hiring processes need to be looked at. Maybe the way that you attract and retain and train and engage employees need to be looked at. Um, but when you can find that intrinsic motivator, and it's something that propels that person to want to get up and do the work and do their best work and continue performing, they will go above and beyond. And yeah. it's amazing the results that you get when you can tap into each person's, you know, internal well of, of, of energy and motivation. I mean, it's, I mean, I love that you brought Taylor up. Uh, when I did some consulting work years ago, this goes back, uh, well, late 1970s. I'm going to date myself on this one. But I was doing work uh, with a consulting firm. We were doing some work at Bethlehem Steel when Bethlehem Steel was still around. And... Mm -hmm. um, we did we did some time and motion studies, you know, because we were yeah. looking for effectiveness and efficiencies. And wow. yeah, we we measured, you know, the overhead cranes that they had uh, carried these enormous loads of steel from one place to another. Uh, but they had base fan motors that were you know, cooling fans in, in, in the base of these cranes. So they were continuously breaking down. So we did a time and motion study. What does it take to uh, prevent maintenance? We were looking at a you know, whole PM structure here. So we didn't have yeah. to go downtime. We could just do a PM. What's it take yeah. to you know, actually replace and uh, maintain these base fans? So we did a whole time and motion study on it. You would have thought that we had, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know what you would have thought we would have done, but the workers certainly thought that we had taken something major away from them. And and what and I didn't know this at the time. You know, this goes back, you know, you know, almost fifty years. But well, that's yeah. Not, yeah. Uh, but I didn't. I I had no idea what agency was about. I just knew that they were upset because we weren't we the consultants. And by fiat, the management team now was saying you have to do it a certain way. This is what the time and motion study suggests, and we're going to be far more efficient mm -hmm. if we did it this way. Well, we were far less effective. That's a consequence of this. And it was that internal intrinsic motivators. These guys prided themselves on their ability Absolutely. to, I mean, they, they, there was pride in this. And Absolutely. that was taken away from him with this. Mm -hmm. um, in your um, interviews, and you, you in, in the book, you've got over 50 stories uh, in the research you know, data that you've collected here. 
Is there a couple of stories that stand out for you that you think can serve as an illustrative example of what you're talking about here without naming names necessarily or giving away the, the farm, but, uh, yeah, there's a few that stand out. Um, obviously one is, you know, in the forward, um, mm-hmm. and in the introduction. That's what I was Alan thinking of. Yeah. Amazing work at, at Ford Motor Company. <clears throat> um, you know, looking at the idea that results must be separate from, you know, treating people as the most important thing in the organization. Um, you know, Alan's results really show that that is not true. Um, you know, going from where he was when he came into the organization and And then when he left the organization. I remember right, didn't he? He did. He came from Boeing. Yes, exactly. And Boeing was a very, yeah, that that whole manufacturing, Mm -hmm. you know, the MBO, the Mm -hmm. whole structure that Boeing used, that is not what he brought. That's not what he brought to Ford necessarily. No, he didn't. And, you know, um, I remember because I was working there at the time and I remember, you know, when Alan came in in September, he had actually been there for a couple months before that. And he was interviewing people, walking around and talking to people one on one. What's working well? What's not working well? Tell me what you like about this. You know, he was just very, you know, down to earth and just walking around talking to everybody. And then, you know, he was announced as the new CEO in September. And so he took all of that data and he sat down and compiled like this big report on what he had learned what he saw the vision to be and where he wanted to take Ford Motor Company over his, the course of his tenure. And at the end of his tenure, when he left, stock price was up over 1,800%. Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, that's just incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's one example. Um, you know, there's others in the book. Um, some of them I had quantitative results for, um, mm-hmm. and some of them I didn't. You know, so where I where I was able to define a quantitative result, I did that. If I had a qualitative result, I shared that. Um, uh-huh. And absent either of those, you know, I shared anecdotes from the people that were working with those leaders to share Wait, how effective they were. Let me ask this question because this gets to be kind of interesting. In the in just in the title, "Be Human, Lead Human," um, an old mentor of mine years ago said that people connect through vulnerability and they disconnect through certain. Well, I added they disconnect through certainty. Uh, and yeah. most leaders that I've you know, worked with believe that they need to be this person. This, there's this facade yeah. that they adopt and adapt and who they are inside doesn't necessarily get an opportunity to come through. And I'm just a, as, a, as a question that I don't know the answer to here. How many of these leaders would you have described as being intrinsically vulnerable as they did their jobs in their organizations? Oh, that's such a good question. I'm thinking about the people that, I mean, these amazing people that I was so fortunate to interview, you know, that gave me their time, um, you know, and shared their experiences so that Mm -hmm. I could share those, you know, with the world. I would say the vast majority of them were because Uh they understood that to be who they were, er, who you are as a leader has everything to do with who you are as a human being. You don't necessarily, you know, put on a, a suit coat and walk in and leave part of your personality at the door. Oh, many so do. <laughs> I know. And, and the, and the question is like, where did we get that programming from? Yeah. Like where did that actually come from? Like when I know Hannibal where it came across from. the Alps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, there's a story I tell in the book about one leader who, you know, she'd been working with this team and she was super successful 
and she got promoted into this role and she felt like she needed to dress and act and speak and think and believe in a certain way. And the team that she was leading was coming up to her and saying, we don't recognize you. Like, we don't understand who this person is because we've worked with you now for some of us for 10, 15 years. Yeah. And all of a sudden you are demonstrating these behaviors that we don't recognize. And ergo, we don't really trust you right now. And we're losing confidence in your ability to lead us. Yeah. And so she did some soul searching and knew that like, this just wasn't fitting her well. It wasn't sitting right. She didn't feel like she could show up as her whole self, her authentic self in mm -hmm. this role. And ultimately she learned that, you know, she needed to change how she was showing up. Um, and revert back to who she was before she had stepped into the promotion. You know, I'm gonna. I've got a question for you that I you know, after this break I want to you know, jump into here, and it has to do with the nature of compassion in the workplace environment. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we're going to take a real quick break. Talking right now with Dr. Jennifer Nash. Uh, the book is "Be Human, Lead Human." We'll take a real brief break, and when we come back, we're going to take a look at just kind of where leadership fits into this whole notion of compassionate capitalism. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure you've got a story that we can work with. <laughs> okay. Be right back, folks. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die? The question nature asks us to answer is are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett and I look forward to helping you thrive. Welcome back. Um, before we took the break, I had asked uh, Jennifer to uh, uh, consider you know, the role of compassion or the fit or the place for compassion in a workplace environment. And I want to you know, kind of put a little uh, trailer on that. In the context of how these leaders that you've interviewed actually ended up doing what they did. Where did compassion come in? You know, you know, and the book over my shoulder, those of you that are actually watching this on, on uh, the YouTube channel, uh, you'll see uh, compassionate capitalism over the, you know, my shoulder here. Um, 
but that is what I'm about in my life. Yeah, is is bringing the notion and the the experience of compassion back into the workplace, which is what something that Adam Smith actually talked about with his invisible hands years ago, uh, over 250 <laughs> years ago. But where does compassion fit in this scenario? And then we're going to leverage that just to kind of give everybody a roadmap here. You've got a checklist, uh, a little assessment that I want people to actually step into, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about how it got developed and what it's intended to do uh, as we kind of wind things back to a closure here. So compassion, where does that live for you? Uh, Compassion for me is first and foremost, it's forefront in what I do. And I feel like many of the leaders that I talked with um, shared that same value. And I think it's so interesting because, you know, often compassion and business, like they don't, necessarily they're not used in the same sentence people don't think about workplaces as being compassionate empathetic places where people can not only come to work but they come to grow they come to develop as a human being and i think having compassion is so so important i also will say that oftentimes when people demonstrate compassion or demonstrate kindness it's seen as a weakness when it really isn't yeah and I think yeah. there can be a hesitation to demonstrate that compassion because there's that preconceived notion that, oh, if I demonstrate this, I'll be viewed as weak or I'll yeah. be viewed as a pushover or I won't be viewed as a leader who is has gravitas. See, that's that that, that is the kernel of, that I wanted to kind of expose here. Uh, if every if an organization is just a collection of people in relationship. How do you not be compassionate when you're in a relationship with somebody uh, or even something? Uh, my dad was a butcher in one of his incarnations. Uh, he was a serial entrepreneur. But I remember him slicing up. You know, we'd have beef hanging in the big walk-in cooler that, uh, that, he, uh, that he had you know, uh, at his shop. But I remember him taking the slab of beef and he, he treated it not just like a slab of beef. He actually kind of, you know, took care of it. And there was, you know, compassion to me is the behavioral analog to consciousness. I can be aware, conscious of connection. I can be aware that there's somebody out there, but how do I, how do I behave? So that compassion is a recognition that there is a connection. And to, to go back to my dad, when he would take his knife out, he would, he would never nick a bone. It was fascinating. He would never nick a bone when he was, uh, you know, butchering uh, this this side of beef. It was masterful, but it was born out of a connection. He was so connected mm-hmm. to that side of beef that he knew how to work this thing. Mm-hmm. So compassion takes a lot of different forms. And to your point, mm-hmm. not just necessarily soft and gooey and it's, uh, you know, if it's something that people can walk over. Compassion can have a really hard edge to it because I'm enforcing connection. I'm enforcing the value of relation. And that can, that can be a very interesting leadership move you know, in an organization. How do we take care, take care of our people uh, yeah. as well as our vendors, yeah. our suppliers, and that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's such an interesting concept. And I think it's one that actually started a while ago, like you mentioned, but it hasn't gained traction. Right. And I, I am frustrated with that because I feel like if we were able to get that to have momentum, right? And we had people who viewed relationships as critical and fundamental and a key piece 
of the workplace environment, then I think there would be more compassion in the workplace and therefore in the world, which would make the world such a better place to be. Yes, we see would. so many, there is no shortage of examples of leaders who aren't demonstrating compassion today. Yeah. And I, I think this. that there is an opportunity. And speaking of and opportunity, that, yeah. oh, go ahead, please. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I think, too, you know, so many of the leaders that I interviewed for the book, you know, they had a strategy for how they wanted to go about building relationships. They had intention. They carved out time. They made work the vehicle for the relationships and they made time to nurture and sustain those relationships. And many of the leaders that I talked to for the book that are, I would consider outstanding leaders from a performance metric standpoint, they spent probably 80, 90, 95% of their time on building relationships and nurturing relationships and demonstrating that compassion for these human beings in front of them who are not just the totality of their output to the organization. Their fathers, mothers, sisters, you know, dealing with elder care, dealing with child care, dealing with the pandemic, dealing with loneliness, like all of these other facets that we have to us that, that we bring into the workplace with us. That we're, we're, I quoted in the book, one of the poets, you know, who says like, it's astonishing that we're not of interest to each other. Yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, that's I, it's, aston it's astonishing that we're not of interest to each other. You know, um, a metaphor, and then I'm gonna you know quickly have you talk a little bit about you know, uh, your uh, uh, assessment. But the idea of we're you know, not interested in each other. I'll sometimes you know work with leaders and teams that are having conflict and issues. You know, a matter of fact, a lot of my work is organized around that, um, and. <laughs> I, I'll say to them, look, there's about 8 billion people on this planet. And every single one yeah. of these 8 billion people, even though they may come from the same family systems, they have unique life experiences. They've been educated in a unique fashion. They've taken in data and information in a unique fashion. They collated and synthesized it in a unique fashion. So their worldview is uniquely theirs. Yeah. And yeah. by definition, they don't, you know, we all live on the same planet but we don't live in the same world. So I am continuously interacting with aliens, continuously. And if I want to get along with an alien, I've got to get interested in them. How can I, how, what's your yeah. world like? That's where, yeah. you know, in that in, not curiosity, but interest. How do I get interested? Mm -hmm. Tell me more about this and that, that, those sorts of things. So, the leaders that you just described here, these are the ones that, you know, from you know, 90, 95% of their time is spent forging high quality working relationships predicated on interest. What's important to you? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. You've got an assessment and mm -hmm. it's a free assessment in the book. And you, you talked about roadmaps. You've talked about, you know, you know strategic uh, ways of figuring stuff out. Can you talk a little bit about your assessment and how people can get a hold of it? Absolutely. So, you know, we've been talking a lot through our podcast today around compassion and around these qualities that make leaders what I call human leaders, which is the evolving role of a leader for the 21st century and the time that we're in. And so if, if listeners want to figure out where they fall on that scale of being a human leader and demonstrating or 
not demonstrating these behaviors that comprise human leadership, they can go out and take the human leader index, which is available on my website, it's complimentary, and they will get a personalized about 25 page report of their results. I am signing up today. There's also a version in the book. They can do it with an old school pen and pen and paper version. Okay. What's the website? What's the website? Um, the website is drjennifernash.com. That's drjennifernash.com. And they'll click around and find the, it says take the HLI. Okay. And then the book, Be Human, Lead Human, is available not only on your website, but it's also available in all of the regular places, I am assuming, Amazon and, yeah, take your pick. Yeah, I don't know what else is there. but <laughs> Yeah. And if your local independent bookstore doesn't carry it, go in and ask for it. And I'm sure they can order it for you. They can order it. We've yeah. been listening to Dr. Jennifer Nash. Um, her book, Be Human, Lead Human, you can get it again. And I'll put this in the show notes, drjennifernash.com. DrJenniferNash.com, all one word, no period after the doctor. Okay. And yeah. you will be treated to a very, and it's a very clean, I like your, your site. It's a very clean site. It's easy to navigate. And thank she's got so some much. phenomenal testimonials in there. Know that. Yeah. Thank you. I so Jennifer, thank you. I know that. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> Folks, uh, join me at my website, blainebartlett.com, and I've got uh, you know, some resources there that you can take advantage of. Uh, one thing that I'd like you to point uh, in a direction, and I, I mentioned this in the, uh, the little commercial uh, mid-course mid, uh, in this podcast, is the uh, uh, Sustainable uh, Success Toolkit. Uh, feel free to grab uh, your, your copy of that Sustainable uh, Success Toolkit. You can find it on my website as well. So again, Dr. Jennifer Nash, thank you muchly for, um, I, I love this interview. I'd love to have you back on at some point in time if you're willing. Oh, I would love that. I've enjoyed this so much. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'm just, anything I can do to help the soul of business move forward, I'm all about it. Okay, thanks. We'll see you guys next time. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.